For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are packing up and hitting the road to take in the greatest golf imaginable. Oh, you aren't ready? Well, that's okay, because this trip is the original form of a virtual vacation through the written word of a book. Our guest has written about the game and about his life in the game, from the struggles of competition to the highs and lows of seeking its meaning. It's a great pleasure to be joined by best-selling author Tom Coyne here on The Range. Tom, thanks for joining us. Ralph, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to finally get a chance to talk to you and talk a little Ireland and Scotland, whatever you got in store. Well, we always start here on The Range by looking back at when and how did golf enter into your life? Yeah. Um, wow. I have to go way back, way, way back to, um, it's weird. Probably don't remember time in my life without golf. Um, I took up the game when I was maybe eight years old. Um, I can remember life before eight, but, uh, my dad was a big player. My brother was a good golfer. Um, my middle brother, I'm the youngest of five. And, it was kind of a, I was kind of a reluctant golfer because my brother was, he was good at it and, you know, was like all Catholic and was playing in college. And, um, I wasn't that interested in doing something that my brother was already good at. Um, so I was like, oh, that's his thing. Uh, you know, I don't want to go, go golf, but you know, I, I guess eight, nine years old playing in the, uh, my dad took me up to the Sunday clinic at Rolling Green um which is a golf course in delaware county pennsylvania old william flynn course and uh it pro it didn't take too long for me to get um for it it's you know it, it got its claws in me pretty quickly um and then adding around 11 or 12 i started to caddy and adding those two things together playing golf and caddying you know golf pretty quickly became my uh you know, my summer, my, you know, if I wasn't in school, I was at that rolling green, either, either carrying bags or usually trying to not carry bags. And cause it was great since I was a junior member too, when I didn't get out, I could go play, mm -hmm. which I was very privileged to be able to do that. But it made me a pretty lazy caddy cause I'd be hiding in the back of the bag room trying to not get out. Um, which my dad didn't, didn't love that, but, uh, I certainly played a lot. So, you know, it's been a part of my life, you know, through my dad, uh, since I was pretty young. Growing up, being able to play abroad really had to extend the love of the game as you saw totally new versions of it. Yeah. I mean, that's really where things, um, in terms of my connection to golf became something, you know, more than just a, a summer job or a, a hobby. Um, the game, I guess, became a lot bigger when I started to appreciate it internationally. And, and that, and that started with going on golf trips to Ireland with, with my dad, um, in high school and in college, 
and getting to, you know, experience Lynx golf for the first time, um, which to me was a completely different sport, a completely different endeavor. Um, and it just, it just hit me in all the right places. I loved everything about it. And, um, you know, the places, the people that all becomes part of the, the experience of golf in Ireland, but, um, you know, just the game itself and the way it was played, it, it was just endlessly fascinating to me that that sort of golf. So, you know, and thank God we did take those trips because, um, the, that expe early experience with golf and travel has really become the trajectory trajectory of my career. Um, God, 30 years later. I've spoken with a number of engineers and designers, and for many of them, it was a love of science coupled with golf that kind of fueled their passion in their careers. I imagine your love for golf is rivaled by your affection for the written word. <laughs> it's it's funny. I'm glad I've been able to combine uh, these two things. And I never like set out with a plan to, to do this, to be a golf writer, or um, I don't really know there was, yeah, I knew people wrote golf books or whatever, but it wasn't really something I looked to as a, um, as a vocation or as a path that, um, an obvious path. Um, but I, I feel very fortunate to have put them together because they're really the only two things that I know anything about. Um, my writing life started very young before I was playing golf. I was writing a lot and writing stories and, um, was interested in language and words. And, um, that was nurtured through high school and college and graduate school. And, and so I accidentally sort of become a golf writer when I write a gentleman's game, which is, which is a novel. Um, I wrote it while I was in graduate school. It was my, my master's thesis. And, and it was the first time that I had actually written anything about golf. Um, because I, you know, I'm in a graduate program. I'm, I'm, you know, at this, <clears throat> um, well-known school, all this stuff. And, and, and you don't write about golf, right? You write about matters of the heart and the mind and, and all those sorts of things. But, you know, to write about sports, like who's going to, who's going to read that. Um, but golf, you know, quickly revealed itself to me as a way to write about all those things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cause we know, I, I don't like to use the golf life metaphor to beat it cause you can really beat it to death, I think. Um, but it is true. It is there. I mean, in a round of golf, there are all the emotions and experiences that one can encounter in your life as well. So that just gave me a lot of opportunity to write about the things I wanted to write about with golf as a backdrop. Um, and also it gave me a readership too, because people um, read golf books. And, uh, and that's, that's been a, a happy coincidence as well. You talk about the parallels of golf and life, but the fact is, is that within the course setting that you choose, within the golf setting you choose, life comes there. I mean, they're all aspects of life. So as you talk about a gentleman's game, you have all these intersections of society happening in what you would seem would be a, a very placid setting, but isn't because everybody brings their own thing to that world. Absolutely. The setting was immediately the thing, you know, when I sat down, I mean, I'm 21 years old, 22 thinking like, I want to write a novel. I don't even, I don't know how to write a novel. Um, I don't know how to write a book. And, and, but when I started writing about this golf prodigy, that was compelling. I had a compelling character, but where it really sprung to life was the setting, right? When I decided, okay, this, this story takes place in a clubhouse. Um, and then it was like, okay, I can handle that. I can, I can imaginatively wrap my hands around that and, 
and and find the stories that are there. And it's such a fascinating setting because you have, or at least the way I wrote it, was this sort of upstairs downstairs world of you know the members upstairs, and then the caddies would well when I caddied, we waited down in the basement, um, and life was and the lives the worlds between the two couldn't be more different, but they're really only separated by a golf bag. Um, so it was like, ah, so I can write about all these things. You know, I can, I can write about, um, I can, money and family and race and coming of age. I can do all this stuff because it's there at the golf club. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bounty of, of things to write about for sure. Now you changed styles and went to a first person nonfiction format mm-hmm. with paper tiger how did that inspiration really come? Was it, I need a book idea and I'll play golf or was it, I want to become a professional golfer. <laughs> oh, and while I'm doing this, I can actually uh, journal and make a book. Yeah. That paper tiger was uh, what a great life that was. Um, and I guess it, it came from both places. I mean, after gentleman's game, I spent time trying to, to write another novel, um, but kind of everything I knew about the world at that point, you know, I'm 24, four 25 and um everything i knew was in the book was in a gentleman's game so i said you know i need to go out and experience some more life and, and do something worth writing about right and and that's where um the idea for paper tiger came from to to go you know if i could live every you know what's my golf dream and if i could live it would that be a compelling story and my golf dream was always this like what if i could play at the next level what if I had everything that the pros have? Um, and what if I was brought up that like, like Tiger was brought up? Could I be not Tiger Woods, but could I be a, a really, really good golfer? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's that it's a very tempting sort of illusion. I think every golfer experiences you hit one good shot or two good shots and you think, damn, I could do this. Right. If I didn't have to work or have a family or have a job or all that stuff. So I said, <laughs> all right, I'll get rid of all that. I, I didn't really have any of it at that point anyway. And, uh, you know, and I'll go live that life and, and see what it's like. Um, so it really, I mean, yeah, the, the, the first impulse was I need a, I want to write another golf book. But when I tied it into this sort of lifelong dream that I had, <clears throat> the idea for it, I mean, it went back and forth between am I just doing this as a writer or do I really have a shot? Mm-hmm. And there were some days when I was playing well enough where I thought I've, I've got a chance. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be a millionaire. I'm not going to, might not make this my living, but I think I can do something in golf. Um, and, you know, and then the next day you can't find the club face and, and, uh, and you're glad you're, you have a book to fall back on for sure. I've had experience being around top-level college and pro athletes for years and and working in media. And you kind of learn that not only are these folks really talented at this sport, but there's something else that really separates them. Yeah. And allows them to be the competitors that they are. Absolutely. I think there's an attitude and an approach and a mindset. Um, I kind of felt, so if I, I go to these events, Q schools. I went to Canadian Q school, Latin American tour, Australasian tour. And there was this feeling where I felt like I was kind of in other people's way, Mm -hmm. right? Like, all right, just don't go in the wrong place or don't, you know, make a fuss or get in anyone else's way. Or, you know, I was very conscious of like not messing up anyone else's experience or their, or their, um, 
or their quest to, to shoot their number. So, but in their eyes, um, I doubt any of those, you know, the guys who end up at the top of the, the leaderboard, uh, guys and girls, um, really think about that. I, I, they don't even, frankly, they probably don't even see anybody else. You know, they're there to do their job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's a, there's a sort of focus and I think a healthy arrogance to being able to play this game um, at that level where it's sort of like, get out of my way. I'm here to do my business. And I had the point of view of like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was in your way. And, and that's, and that's a mindset that comes from a lifetime or however many years of playing, you know, top level competitive golf. And that was one thing that I couldn't, you know, fake and that I couldn't earn in the year and a half that I spent in paper tiger was getting comfortable in my tournament skin. Like that was not my regular game. A four day tournament for money or a purse was, was very uncomfortable to me. Um, and to the people I was playing with, that was their regular game. And, and it showed that, 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 comfort level was uh was something that who knows maybe many many more years i could have found it but it was tough to find in in that short period of time and i would imagine that some of the people that you played against played alongside you probably would think you know if the u.s just took guys like this and put them in the Ryder cup they'd never lose because these guys can't afford to lose yeah, that, that's how they play golf is they can't afford a, a, the big mistake that so many of us make. You know, it was so fascinating to watch because there were different kinds of like great golfers that I ran into. And some were just they just seemed like physically superior athlete, you know, athletic specimens where mm-hmm. the way their club head was moving. It was like my body can't do that. Um, and then there were players who you'd, you'd see on the range and think like. That's that not that they weren't very special at all or that like wow i bet they wish they could hit it as far as i could or whatever but then you'd see them out on the golf course and and they just knew how to score they really knew how to take care of their golf ball they knew how to um you know as i said they knew how to golf their ball um they never gave away strokes uh or wasted strokes and that was um, you know, there was a tidiness to their game so that they finished and you think they shot 73, but they shot 67. Um, and you're like, damn, how do you do that? And you know, <laughs> how he did that was he just didn't do the stupid, the seven stupid things that I do every round of golf, you know, right. it seems simple, but it's really kind of genius to watch. Um, and of course, and they also, and the crazy thing also is that those players expect 67, 66. Um, under tough conditions, mm-hmm. which um, when you're in a mindset of like, man, I hope I can keep it around par, um, you're at a pretty big disadvantage. So you spend a year and a half on Paper Tiger. What happened to your game after when you decide, okay, I'm I'm going back. I'm not going to pursue this any longer. Does your game just slide? Do you like, okay, <laughs> I don't want to touch the golf clubs for a while or, or or do you go back and dominate on an amateur circuit for a few weeks and then <laughs> reach reality? I mean, how, how does that transition for you? It's funny. I, I thought like, you know, after having played in all these big events that, um, and, and done pretty well in some of them, um, not pretty well, but, you know, done well enough to hold my head, head up to say, okay, you know, I just played in, the Canadian Tour Q school. Now to go back, I'm going to win my club championship every year for the rest of my life. Right. 
Right. Um, and no, that hasn't been the case. <laughs> I was shocked to find that there are good golfers everywhere and that you still have to, the problems that plagued you in one setting can still come with you to other ones, you know, and that's still at your golf club. There's, you know, three or four guys who play golf in college and are, are very good players. So um, I've, I've had, you know, some okay success, but well, coming right back from paper tiger, I took a, I did take a big break from the game. I mean, I played 542 days in a row at that point. And to say I was burnt out would be fair. It would just be fair to say. Um, So there was a break there, but what's been funny in the golf, my, my golf, like since paper tiger is that, you know, I've pursued like in a course called Scotland, I pursued like good golf again. And, um, and still, you know, play in sec, try to play in section events or club championship, whatever the lessons that I learned, or you know, that I was trying to learn in paper tiger, I'm, I'm still working on, um, I'm still using the mental game stuff that I learned from Dr. Bob winners. I, I still have the same swing flaws that, that Dr. Jim Suddy identified in the book. It's, it's useful now that when I hit a ball a certain way, I know why. And I can see the swing in my head and I can sometimes even correct it on the fly. Um, but it's amazing like how certain things that you do in your swing, they're just in your golf DNA. They're going to kind of, I mean, yeah, you can always change your swing, but under pressure, you revert back to that DNA because that's what your body knows. And that's where the same stuff that I was working on 20 years ago, it's still there. It's maddening, but that's why we can play this game forever. Right. Cause you never figure it out. What inspired you to pursue what would become a course called Ireland? Because really it's not about the book. It's about the journey and what inspired that journey. So I'd done paper tiger and you know, I'm not going to be a golf pro. I realize, and, uh, not to ruin the book for anybody, but you'll notice that I'm not <laughs> in the masters this year. Um, and so with, with Ireland, I was actually planning a trip for friends to go to, um, to go to do a golf tour of Ireland. Cause I'd done several at that point. Um, I'm, I guess I'm 30 mid thirties or whatever, uh, early thirties. And <clears throat> I was looking at a golf map of Ireland, trying to pick, okay, which corner are we going to go to? You know, everyone, you know, most trips go to the Southwest, which is great down there. <clears throat> Should we go a little farther field and, further field, blah, blah, blah. And as I'm looking at this map and there's a flag for every golf course, I mean, it basically Ireland, the Island itself started to look like a big golf course, right? Um, that's ringed with all these golf holes. And I thought, Ooh, I wonder if everyone's ever tried to play Ireland as one golf course. And that idea, um, you know, there's every once in a while you get a moment and you know, in this career or life or whatever, where you feel like you sort of see the next three years of your life ahead of you. And that was one of those moments where I thought this is an idea that um, this challenge to play Ireland as one large golf course is, is something that I know my publisher will go for um, something that I want to do, something that I'm passionate about and something that will will hopefully create great story. And when those, cause, and so when all those things come together, you know, like, okay, this is where my life is going. And it, and it was the next three, well, it's been the next 
you know, 20 years of my life because or 15 years, um, because it, that book really changed a lot of things for me. It was, um, you know, we thought it would be successful, but, um, you know, it surprised myself and my publisher and, and sort of allowed a lot of other things to happen. So, but the key to it was, you know, the inspiration was play it all as Ireland is one big golf course. But when you play golf in Ireland, you don't take a cart, um, mm -hmm. you walk. So if I was going to play Ireland as one golf course, I was going to walk the whole way. And that's what I did between the golf courses as well. You're walking course to course, town to town, hole to hole. I mean, everything was a walk, as you as you mentioned. Talk us through what it was like to plan that experience, because there's so many variables to factor in, not the least of which is just booking golf or booking hotels. The uh, the planning it took about a year. It took the trip itself was four months. Um, Four months, 1,100 miles, I walked 60-some courses, all every length in Ireland. But the planning, um, that was the work of it. And that was almost like its own book, right? That adventure of trying to, like, plot an itinerary where you're on foot. Mm -hmm. um, and this is at a time, like, just before, like, every B&B in Ireland would have had a website or you know where you would have booked everything just through your phone um that time was pretty shortly thereafter but the internet was only somewhat helpful at that time because you know i had a 20 mile leash every day because i'm on foot right so mm -hmm. i and i have to find within those 20 miles i have to find well hopefully a golf course some days there wouldn't be a golf course there'd be a golf course the next day um but i'd have to find a bed um food <laughs> You know, and that seems somewhat simple, but in some parts of Ireland, that was, um, I mean, I, you know, would spend weeks reconfiguring the, the, the journey to, to say, cause there were just these blank spots in the countryside where it was like, I got, there's nowhere to stay. There's nowhere to eat. Um, and again, and I can't just, you know, pull up my smartphone and say, show me the closest hotel. So the planning, um, it was pretty manic. I had it down to the, by the time I left, I said, if I'm going to do this, I want to have a good plan to keep me going. Cause I was kind of freaked out about the idea that I was about to leave home for four months and be on my own on the, in, on, on some roadsides that I'd only seen on maps. So I had a, a big thick binder of um, every reservation and the itinerary was down to the minute um, or not down to the minute, but you know, certainly every day was pretty well planned. Now it went to, hell a bunch of times because of weather or delays or injury or or various factors but um at least i knew that at the end of every day there was a bed ahead of me and, one, and once i knew that i was pretty relaxed and pretty excited about the adventure i didn't know how hard the walking was going to be but i i, I figured that out pretty quickly when you wrapped up, and sorry, folks, we're not going to tell you all about the story. You're going to have to buy the book for that. That's right. Uh, but when you wrapped up, how did the experience affect you? It gave me um, a lot a lot of things. Uh, well, it physically affected me. I lost about 40 pounds, so that was cool. I invented <laughs> this new diet where you could eat fried food out of a paper bag and drink all the pints in Ireland and still lose weight. As long as you walk 25 miles that day, you'd be fine. So that changed me. But 
it gave me a lot of confidence and it gave me um, a perspective on life that I need to remind myself of. So it's actually useful for me to talk about the book again and remember that there was a time when all I needed in the world was, you know, what, what I was carrying, which in my backpack, you know, I had a few golf clubs, two sets, you know, two days worth of clothes, some toiletries and a laptop. And that was it. And that was my whole world. And I had some money in my pocket and that was all I needed. And I didn't want for anything. Mm-hmm. And what, a, you know, I need to remember that because um, it was a beautiful, wonderful way to live. And that sort of streamlined, um, it just was a lot easier to appreciate the world around me. So I needed to remember to, to keep doing that. But, you know, but it gave me confidence in what you're, I was capable of doing. I, when I planned the book, I was kind of like, okay, at what point does the book end? You know, I don't, I'm not really going to make it, you know. Um, and the fact, you know, not, not to spoil it, but that it does have a happy ending. Um, it definitely emboldened me to go on to keep pushing it, which, you know, I, I think I probably have since. The next written endeavor was a course called Scotland, which I'm sure after Ireland, everyone was coming up to you. Well, aren't you going to go to the home of golf? Don't you have to talk about Scotland? So I imagine that there was pressure from the outside to pursue something that wasn't just the same, but had to be bigger. Yeah, there, there was, after Ireland, it was, when are you going to do Scotland, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which made me not want to do Scotland because I want, you know, I want to come up with my own nuanced idea and something right. you didn't see coming, et cetera. But it became pretty clear to me that like, as I profess to be this Lynx lover and this authority on Lynx golf, and I, and I haven't really played in Scotland. I'd done like one weekend in St. Andrews when I was in college, you know? And so that was like a huge gaping hole on my resume. And, and I came around to the idea. I'm like, you know, I do want to do Scotland. I just want to find the right reason to do it. And I, and, and to do trips like this that require the, you know, so much planning before the trip even starts, then do the trip and then spend a year of your life writing and editing the book. And then you're, you know, you have to really want to do it and you have to have, uh, you have to be compelled, you know, in a very, um, with a lot of energy to say, okay, I have to do this. It can't be something like none of these stories or ideas have ever been, Oh, that would be nice. Or that, that'd be a pretty good book. If it becomes something that I have to become obsessed with it. Um, and so it wasn't until I figured out, all right, with Scotland, Scotland is my chance to find the secret to golf because, you know, I didn't really find it in paper tiger. I found a lot of answers, but I didn't really find the secret. And what if the secret was something more soulful, spiritual, even, you know, that exists where the game was born. Um, that's something I was like, Ooh, I want to, I want to find that. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to, um, to taking on Scotland. But that was a, a challenge of a, you know, to play every links in Scotland. And then, you know, I was going to find, you know, I'm going to play every links, find the secret to golf, and then I'll put it to the test in British Open qualifying. Um, so I had this like tight window of time between the end of my semester. I'm a professor at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. Um, between the end of my semester and the qualifier for the Open, I had 57 days. 57 days and... 107 courses to get to. So, and I wanted to play the whole open rota. So I started in England. I wanted to hit Wales on the way up um, and then do all of Scotland. So it was, it was an absurd itinerary. I didn't walk it, um, but did live to tell the tale. 
um, and found the secret to golf as well. But again, of course, Ralph, you have to buy the book to find it. <laughs> exactly. It's just not on the, it's not on the cover, you, you know, and the more copies you buy, the easier it is to find. I've heard. <laughs> it's true. I want to go inside the process because in Ireland and in the UK, your days would be full. Mm. So aside from playing golf, eating and traveling, how would you chronicle the day? I mean, you had to have a reference for writing later or were you actually writing the book while you were on the road? Right. So I, with, with none of the projects have I ever sat down and written page one until I'm back the traveling's done. It's had at least a, you know, a month or sometimes more to marinate in my head and, uh, and reflect on what the story actually is. Cause it's one of these things you don't, you almost don't know what the book is about until the trip is done. So I wasn't writing page one, here's the book, but I was writing every day in Scotland and in Ireland. Um, the cool thing about Ireland was, even though I was had these long walks and all this golf, I was usually done. Um, I'd start early, and I'd, I'd usually be done by 4 or 5 o'clock. And I'd wind in a, end up in a town where I didn't know anybody. <clears throat> so I'd go into the pub with my journal and sit in the corner, and I'd write. And, uh, and I'd capture a lot of material that way. I would collect the day's events, who I met, who I talked to, the jokes, you know, get the raw material. And I did the same thing in Scotland, although I was doing it on a, on a laptop, um, where every day I would check in and get, um, and some days it was just a few paragraphs of like, you know, you, if you went back and read it, like you would almost not even recall or be able to decipher what you were, what you had written some nights. Cause it'd be, you'd be late, you'd be exhausted. Um, but I needed to get down every day, you know, where I'd been who I'd seen. And I just need maybe a few reminders to say, Oh, it was this incident with this when Garth hit the house with his ball or we got attacked by the, the, the sheep or, you know, whatever. And then, you know, just those things, they spring a small reminder will spring the story back into my head. Um, and I'd also make sure to collect some dialogue or, or like punchlines from any jokes and stuff like that. So when I was finished with Scotland, I had a, you know, a 500 page journal of, um, just raw material, right? Very, you know, maybe a fifth of it made it into the book, but um, you know, it's all there when you when I needed it. In Ireland and England, Scotland, you had a number of people come to join you on your uh, quest. What did that mean to you to have folks who you both knew and didn't know come out and offer that kind of support? Uh, it meant a lot, and and it's meant more and more with each of the books, and it's actually become more and more of the story as I try to make these stories less about me, cause I'm kind of, I'm a little sick of myself. Um, if, if my readers aren't, um, and all these wonder, and also because all these wonderful lives are like intersecting with my own and I want to tell their stories. So in Ireland, it was people that I knew who had volunteered to come, you know, walk with me, visit me, bring me some golf balls. Cause I was always running out of golf balls. Um, and they become, they did crazy things and became part of the story, which was great. Um, Scotland, because now people have read the Ireland book, a lot of the people in Scotland didn't know me or they emailed and said, and you know, I, I talked about doing the book on podcasts or on mm -hmm. Sirius XM radio, whatever. And, and people would write to me and say, Hey, um, or see it on social media and say, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to come golf with you in Scotland. Um, 
And I never said no. Like I, I, I pretty much said yes to everybody. If like, if you are willing to buy a plane ticket to Scotland to come play a round of golf with me, who the hell am I to say no to that? You know, that that's, right. that's amazing. Even though I think I put myself at risk to play golf with perhaps lunatics. Um, Cause I'm like, who does that? Who calls up some stranger, <laughs> you know, but these people ended up becoming, they weren't lunatics. I mean, they were crazy like me, like insane, crazy golfers. I say they're golfers. So that automatically gives them a little, yeah, they're a little bit crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, but they, you know, and they end up becoming my best friends. You know, they're people who I still text with some of them daily, um, you know, who became a part of the Scotland story. And that to me is the greatest gift of, of doing this is that, you know, I think golf connects people, travel connects people, but golf and travel connects people, I think, in a really um, sincere, authentic, meaningful way. And it's been a great thing to do golf and travel because of these friendships that um, that are, you know, so meaningful and, 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 have, and have lasted. You know, it's funny you talk about trying to get less of you into the story. And, and I often will read a review of a movie that I've seen or a book I've read. And I'm just amazed at how clueless people are when they review something. And in this case, there I've, I've read reviews where it says, well, it's like he's just talking about himself the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, of course he is. It's his <laughs> journey. I mean, that's the whole point of the book. This isn't a book of course reviews. Right. No. And it's a, it's a tricky thing to um, try and satisfy. And I don't, I've given up on trying to satisfy every sort of golf reader that they're, you know, that's out there. Um, my books are stories. They're meant to read like novels. They're um, adventures. They're not, if you want to read about, you know, if you want to read a chapter about the 13th hole at North Berwick, it's probably not the book for you. Um, <laughs> there are books out there like that. Um, they're not the kind that I necessarily read or would want to write, but there's people out there who do want to. So that that's great. Um, I do try to blend in, you know, history, architecture, along with the sort of personal narrative and character driven story. But for me, it's always about adventure. It's always about trying to do something unreasonable and see what it actually comes out looking like. Um, and to see how that affects yourself and your relationship with other people. I mean, that's what story is about, right? It's about characters overcoming something and doing something noteworthy. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm interested in. So, you know, yeah, the, the descriptions of, if someone's just buying it to say, all right, um, you know, I want to read, I, I'm expecting like a, a Tom Doak book, like an architecture book. I'm like, it's a little bit of that, but not that much or, uh, to just get a straight history story, you know, like you'll get some of that, but, um, at the end of the day, you're going to get a book that, um, you're going to get a story. And that's, uh, thankfully that's what most people seem to want. Now you have a new book coming out next spring, a course called America. Uh, I know we traded messages in your planning, so maybe I contributed a tiny little measly bit of something to it. You did. Well, good. We'll definitely have you back in April and May to discuss it, but that had to be a certain kind of journey just to think about and plan the concept of. It was. It was um, It was another, that feeling of like, I have to do this became sort of stronger and stronger after Scotland where, you know, it, it became, okay, I played like almost all the links of Europe 
And um, I haven't really played golf west of the Mississippi. I haven't played golf in South Carolina. I, I you know, I, I'm, I don't know my own country. I, I knew Ireland and Scotland far better than I knew America, golf or otherwise. And especially during like a very interesting time in our country, I thought, you know, I want to go out and find what America is really about rather than to sit on the couch and assume I know what people in New Mexico or Colorado or Texas or Alaska really think and what their lives are like. Um, I think it would be a service to myself and maybe to my readers to actually go out and meet some of them and to, and to meet them in that place of like universal accord, which to me is the golf course. Um, so a course called America comes out in May. It's the search for the great American golf course. Um, which means I had to figure out what a great golf course is, but I also had to figure out what American means, um, you know, when I was doing that trip in 2019. And um, so I think I did find the great American golf course. But again, you got to buy the book to find it. Well, I was going to say, people will probably learn a lot about America just by pre-ordering the book right now. So. <laughs> pre if you pre-ordered the book, yeah, you learn like, you get a huge jolt of insight just by pre-ordering and we love pre-orders pre-orders make the world go round. so yeah hopefully folks will check it out typically on the range we wrap up by looking at a club designer's portfolio maybe learning about a favorite model or engineering achievement that they've come up with instead i want to ask you about ireland and scotland mm -hmm. not which is better because i'm sure everyone asks you that but i am certain that there are a few things in each that when you think about it, it's one of the first things that you think about. It warms your heart when it comes to mind. When you think of Ireland, when you think of Scotland, what comes to mind? Uh, Ireland, I think of a place called Carn up in the northwest of Ireland um, in Bel on the Belmullet Peninsula off the coast of County. It's in County Mayo, off the, hanging off the coast there. Um, just as remote and wonderful as golf gets. And I think about my friends there, Fiona and Jerry uh, who run, who run Karn. And, uh, and they, I think of, they've been through a lot with the pandemic and having to shut down. And, um, it's where I feel outside of my home here with my kids. It's where I feel most at home, where I feel like I can really exhale. So I see myself sitting in the restaurant there, looking out the window, um, having a bowl of chowder. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's Ireland to me. Um, and then Scotland, um, Scotland, I've, I, I find myself in St. Andrews. Um, I think of St. Andrews and I think of how my kids on the Swoken Bridge um, as very young girls that they've already been to Scotland three or four times is insane to me. I feel incredibly grateful for that and that they've fallen in love. My whole family's fallen in love with St. Andrews as a place to live and visit and vacation even though they don't golf. That's the kind of how great a town it is, right? Uh, that's Scotland to me, walking across the street to get um, pastries, to get crumpets for my girls on a Sunday morning in Scotland. That's, uh, that's as good as it gets. And that's the only thing that you can get from really playing across an entire country and learning <laughs> those little nuances. Those of us who play golf are certainly different. We love the challenge and we endure the mental and physical pain that comes with it because we love the wins that we get 
from 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 the game however those wins may come and you portray that your writings and show how they extend to and beyond the course and i can safely say we appreciate your work and tom uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, here on the range and talking about uh, your writings ralph thank you so much this was a blast and you're incredibly generous um i can't wait to come back again that was tom coin and all i can say is if you haven't read a course called scotland a course called ireland you're cheating yourself out of some really good entertainment really good reading about golf about life about travel i really recommend those books as well and i'm excited for a course called america which again will be coming out in may uh it was really really fun to talk to him and get some of those stories before we go this past weekend we saw dustin johnson overpower the field in winning the masters while many expected bryson DeChambeau to be the dominant force at augusta national instead we saw DJ combine power and finesse and set a new 72-hole scoring record. He hit 79% of his fairways and 83% of the greens. Even with the soft conditions on the putting surface, the field only managed 63%. A differential like that will win tournaments by five strokes. We also saw the true heart of a champion, with Tiger Woods carting a 10 on number 12 on Sunday only to then birdie five of his final six holes to finish under par for the event. And finally, while the story headed into the tournament was Bryson DeChambeau and all the power he was expected to deliver, well, he did bring power, but his strategy was driven by numbers, and golf is still a game played. And his power and skill could not overcome bad luck and aggressiveness at the worst times. He'll learn from it, and he'll be a factor again in April when the world of golf returns to Augusta, Georgia. It was awesome as always, and the absence of the galleries did rob us of the roars. But we got to see Augusta National as never before, and that made this Masters truly special. In fact, it made it likely a once-in-a-lifetime event. If you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. For the latest on the range, follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. Drop us a line anywhere. We will always reply. And any comments, we'll take them. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. Now, that'll do it for this episode of The Range. So let's hit the course and then sit down with a great golf book after. Tom Coyne has some great options available. And we'll talk to you next time right here on The Range. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.